We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, welcome back. It's another edition of the Roar Podcast. Billy Marshall, John Ellis, here joining you on the uh, Blue Wire Podcasting Network. We've got a very special guest here who uh, is uh, one of Billy's biggest fans, uh, we hear. It's uh, Jordan Rodrigue from The Athletic, who has uh, spent many a years covering the Carolina Panthers and is now uh, sojourned out west and building furniture today, uh, covering the Rams and much more around the NFL. Jordan, how the heck are you? I'm doing really well, guys. I'm I'm happy to be out here in LA. It's a, a gorgeous day, and you are correct. I am a big Billy Marshall fan, so <laughs> happy to be happy to be on with you guys. Talk about your move, though. I mean, this is a big, big deal for you personally. I know uh, it's hard leaving Charlotte behind. All right, I saw the picture of you with the the peach uh, away from Gaffney, saying bye bye to the Carolinas, and uh, you know, obviously, a big move like this is difficult. But talk about how you're transitioning right now over there in California. Yeah, it's been really interesting. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, I do not recommend moving across the country in a pandemic. I don't recommend that at all. Um, there were so many extra precautions to take and just sort of like this uh, existential dread <laughs> that was like permeating through the entire trip. Um, so I drove and I had some a couple of things shipped, but I packed my car up and put my dog in the car and, and drove. And I was so scared. Um, you know, when I drove, a lot of these states now are surging. And I was worried about everything from um, getting gas to um, bathrooms to um, hotels and things like that. So actually, the first night I drove um, 19 hours and I slept in my car. <laughs> 
I don't, I don't recommend doing that. Um, and then I kind of split it. Was, it's a 37 hour drive. So I, I drove 19 hours the first day. I drove 12 hours the second day. And then I split up the last two days because I was running on fumes as you could imagine. But, um, yeah, in terms of just changing beats. So I started covering the Rams, um, three time zones away living in Charlotte because I was not able to move because of the pandemic. And so, um, I started covering the Rams and, could not have received a warmer welcome from the coaching staff, the GM, the the team, the locker rooms just seems like such a great locker room, super interesting. And I'm sure we'll get to that in a second here, but PR staff is fantastic. Um, you know, just sort of assorted um, personnel throughout the organization is, is, has been wonderful to work with so far. And so that has been um, very pleasant because everyone's kind of understood like, okay, you know, just kind of doing the best that you can right now, considering the circumstances. So I'm finally, I'm glad to be out here and physically in the same time zone, <laughs> first of all, as the people <laughs> right. I cover. And it's going to be weird because um, it's, you know, from what it sounds like, we're getting sort of all of these different rules coming down from the NFL and from the Pro Football Writers Association of America. And we might be all virtual um, for the most part with players all year if the season does mm. happen. And so I'm like, oh, well, I'd really like to shake your hand. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen for a while. So it's going to be still a little weird, but I, I've, I couldn't be happier um, and more grateful. I do miss Charlotte. Charlotte was a great place to live, but I could not be more grateful to be out here. It's funny you say that, you know, driving 19 hours just seems like miserable. <laughs> like I, I drove, I about a couple of weeks ago, I drove down to Florida and it was weird. I don't know if you experienced it, but at their border, they had like a, you know, you had to go like check in to like make sure like you're not from like New York or New Jersey mm-hmm. or anywhere. Did you experience that at all? Or were you like pretty good as far as, you know, no interruptions? So it was, that's a great question. Cause I was, I was worried about that. Um, and so, and because Mecklenburg County was starting to surge as I left. I had, I had gotten a COVID test. Um, I did one of the CVS drive-thrus and I encourage everybody, if you have time to go get tested, if you are mm-hmm. not feeling well, if you're around other people. Um, and so it was super easy. It took like 15 minutes, sort of the magnitude of what it was hit me as I was like depositing the tests. I started like my hands were shaking and all this stuff, but it was so easy. And um, so I was negative. So I was like, all right, I'm cleared. I can start driving. <laughs> so if I if I need to show somebody this negative test, especially because California, um, coming from Arizona to California, um, you run into a big checkpoint and they ask you, like, do you have any plants in your car? What kind of plants? Like <laughs> all kinds of stuff. And so do you have any animals? And I was like, oh, yeah, I have an animal. And they're like, what kind? And I said, a dog. And as I said that, he popped his head up over the back seat. <laughs> so, um, no, other than that, though, that was that was it. But I was worried about that. So I got a test before I left. And um, it, that was my first COVID test that I had taken. And I was really, really blown away by how easy the experience was. Um, where it's available, I just really encourage people to go and, and take the precautions they need to, to take. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I got tested actually Sunday mm-hmm. it was one of those rapid tests. So I was negative as well, but gee, it really hurts. It was weird. Oh, like yeah. When you go to a doctor's office, you get tested for like strep or flu. They uh-huh. put like the thing down your throat, which that also hurts. But 
this one was kind of a weird experience. Yeah, um, this, the CVS, the free one, it's a Q-tip. So you, you're not shoving something like into your brain, right? So it was a Q-tip. And then actually California is now moving to saliva from what I've heard. So they're developing um, different kinds of tests to just make it easier for people who are like, um, don't really want to shove a stick into my brain, but okay. <laughs> it's, it's it, look, it, looks, it looks brutal. Ian Poulter on the PGA Tour did one down here in Hilton had a few weeks ago, and he videoed it, and it, it just looked like his brains were about to come out of his nose. It looks, I haven't had a test yet, but my wife has. She's a nurse at a hospital, and they've just been slammed left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the mask, I mean, that's all we can say with you along with, some of the things you're you're doing in terms of precaution, just wear the damn mask. I mean, it's so yeah. simple. It's so simple. Um, Jordan Rodriguez from The Athletic joins us. We're talking COVID right now, but we want to dive into football a little bit here. That's why she's here. That's her expertise. Now, I want to get your take on Cam Newton. We'll start there. He's in New England now, $550,000 guaranteed, up to $7.5 million he can make. Beyond the numbers, though, talk about the fit. How do you see that working for Cam and Belichick? Um. When I considered sort of the excellence that could occur (laughs) with this match, Mm. um, so I I was like, I was starting to text a couple of defensive coordinators in the NFC um, and the AFC to kind of just gauge what people's thoughts were. And I had had a couple of people reach out to me um, asking me what I thought. And the, the response that I kept getting was like, oh, my God, it seems so simple first of all why the hell didn't anybody else do this and second of all this marriage at this point if I if if they really do what they should do and what I believe Josh McDaniels will do and that is give Cam the keys and say open that thing up um which is what I think we all are in agreement that's what he should do Mm um I would run in the other direction (laughs) if I were if I were an opposing defense, because we know we know what he can what Cam can do when he's healthy. And we also know that they in New England, they don't do extraordinary, complicated things. They do simple things that work really well because they do simple things with the people that they set them up for success. Now, I know that we perhaps are also on the same page that we did not see a lot of that. Um, in Carolina the last several years in terms of setting people up for success. Mm, Um, Simple variables, offensive linemen that are healthy and consistent and the same person, Um, (laughs) you know, like receivers, (laughs) things, you know, things like that. And, and like, you know, I think that there are so we can go down such a, a rabbit hole of just all of the nuances of this, but, but really new England, if you're going to just say it as simply as possible, they set their players up to have success because they do very, they ask them to do simple things that are executed well and they build um, concepts that set players up for success that can be executed when they are executed well, they are very, very good. And because Cam Newton is, is now, you know, going to be in this system, um, you know, he's, he's going to have, I think from, from first look, he's going to have a pretty good offensive line um, he's, he doesn't have, you know, the crazy big name receivers. He's got a couple talented receivers, not the crazy big names, but he's going to be set up for success in so many different ways because they're going to scheme him that way. Right, <laughs> like, right. And, and that's just one of like the things that continued to irk me over the years when I was seeing it. They're going to scheme him for success. 
that is such a crucial factor to this that people need to understand because it, it's not just about putting people around you that can help you, right? It's also about what are you asking this person to do? Are you asking them to do the things that um, fit their skill set that you know they can execute extraordinarily well? Or are you asking them to do everything at once and then go pick up your groceries? You know what I mean? Right, so exactly. I, I think that that's really going to be, um, I think it's a great fit. It's a fantastic fit. I'm, you know, historically, I'm like, uh, I'm tired of the Patriots winning things. So, um, <laughs> but at the same time, like, I just think it's an extraordinarily fantastic fit. Yeah. I don't think Bill was going down without a fight. You know, he was always going to find a way to find somebody to, to be competitive with. And I, I don't know if uh, Jared Stidham was the guy to do that quite yet, but we'll see, you know, a couple Auburn guys, I'm sure they'll work together in that locker room. And, uh, but uh, the notion that Cam is not the, uh, the guy going into this would be a little bit silly, I think. And I think your point is very valid about scheming him up for success. You know, Carolina went through some changes along the offensive line that were, uh, some of it by design. Some of it was uh, injury. I mean, he had a different starting left tackle every year, Jordan, as you know, since 2013. So it was difficult to get that chemistry going with that front five. Um, but I'm fascinated like you to see it. Billy, what else you got here? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with a lot of what she said. My issues, you know, in the Cam Newton era had more to do with personnel than yeah. scheme. I actually thought... You know, originally when he first came out, uh, Chudzinski did a great job with him. Mm-hmm. And then the transition to Shula was fine. I know Shula got a lot of flack, but I was, um, you know, I'm sure most of you already know, Scott and I were kind of like the Shula, like enablers mm-hmm. in some way. We kind of always were apologizing and thought he did got a lot of undeserved criticism. Um, but and then obviously what the, what the Turners did in 2018, the first half of the year when he was healthy was just, you know, like a perfect marriage of yeah, scheme agree. and talent. Agree. Um, and and so it's going to be interesting for me at least to watch him because I was listening to a podcast the other day. I think uh, there was a guy from ESPN who mentioned that you know Newton he does his best work in the pocket and he's one of the worst quarterbacks when you're asking him to boot outside the pocket. So if he's playing like you know in a Shanahan type offense where you know you know you take the snap and he's doing a bootleg to the right, that's mm-hmm. not really his game. His game is predicated on you know play action and other you know mm-hmm. dropbacks with pocket which i think fits perfectly with him mm-hmm. um so that, that's just kind of how i see it I, I don't know you know what the status of his health is and how it's all going to go down but right. yeah i'm curious to know because you did spend you know the latter part um of the off season with the panthers what what did you hear on how his health is progressing and if he is going to be healthy yeah, you know, I I heard lots of things about, um, you know, good. It, it was good that he had the surgery on his foot because it really was a exclamation point in terms of, okay, this is a pretty much like 99% permanent fix to the foot. But I think what really people were more curious about was the shoulder, right? And you heard over the years with Cam, ever since he first hurt the shoulder and then had the first surgery, you heard everything. You heard things from, okay, they're worried about, um, you know, arthritic tissue that was way back, like, you know, early on after, after the initial, and, and you hear things like, um, mobility issues, you hear things that are concerns about, um, you know, fatigue concerns about just your average wear and tear, um, making it through a season. But I think what 
Bill Belichick is smart here when he considers the fact that, first of all, this is not a um, high risk situation that he, this is not, this was not a high risk transaction because if you, if, if Cam, let's say the shoulder gives out and he, you know, just has that fatigue that has been built in that we don't, we don't know. Um, I think he's healthy and I've heard that he's healthy and I've heard that there's no mobility issues. I've heard that he's not, you know, he's, he's feeling better than he has in, in years. Um, a lot of that being because he had the opportunity to literally rest the shoulder um, for so long, for, for over a year or almost a year. And so I heard those are all the things that trend positively. Um, and, and then when you consider like, oh, um, my, my beef the other day that you guys saw was like people call him injury prone. And I'm like, you can't, you can't frame it that way. You just can't, you can't frame it that way. That's an incorrect framing of the narrative of Cam because you, if you are setting him up to take a beating Right. Um, whether it's personnel, whether he's running the football, um, whether he's doing sort of these electric Cam Newtony things, mm-hmm. um, or it's just simply just not having making sound decisions in terms of putting him in higher risk scenarios than mm-hmm. lower risk scenarios, um, and then you're like, oh wow, look at how look at how hurt he always is. Yeah, like you, you are the causation. So you can't. Fr- anyway, I'm going off on my tangent, but no, I, I no, just no. Think it, I, I was gonna say it, that, that narrative is so yeah. tired, and I'm glad you you posted that thread because I've been called an apologist for this guy for years. But what all I've tried to do here, from the very balanced perspective, is be honest about the situation. And what you see in the media so much with Cam is it's his fault. It's his fault. He's injury prone. Look at what he does. Look at how many hits he takes. When really you're talking about two separate situations really three you know the san diego game in 16 where he chases down benjamin's you know failed effort to catch a ball and he hurts his shoulder and then you know the tj watt hit and then the foot i mean those are three things and none of them are connected you know at least the foot and the initial shoulder there's no correlation between the two and they're both healing in time so i I agreed with that rant you had as you called it that it wasn't so much a rant it was just setting the record straight that look the, the, the overall narrative, at least pre-Patriots, was this guy is so injury-prone. This guy is just unreliable. You know, he's, he's, he's 31 and he's done. You know, he's only 31. That's my thing. Um, well, you would be that- stunned. Sorry to interrupt, but you would be stunned at, like, you know, that's – people are having those conversations inside league circles, too. It's not just, like, on Twitter, right? Like, yeah. people – there was a lot, I think, a lot about Cam's um, transactional stuff that he was hurt because of COVID because he couldn't take the physicals and, and there was like no real protocol for those types of things. The other thing that was an issue was so he not an issue, I would say, but it, w- it was just a variable in, in all of this is like so he has his own set of doctors in Atlanta. Um, first of all, hello, massive, massive red flag if you are you've seen the same specialist for the last 10 years of your career who's worked directly with the team and you've worked with team doctors in carolina and then for this you would like to go use your own team of specialists in atlanta yeah um that's massive and and that also means that cam controlled his own medical records and i don't a lot of people don't know that if you are working as a player in an nfl team you technically do not have control of your own medical records the team doctor does and so him going to his own surgeon, I think obviously seeing the writing on the wall, like maybe I won't be a part of this team in the future. Right. Cause remember he made that decision and he was still on the team Right. and going to do that so that when the time came for him to 
share this information with other teams, he would have control of those records and control of that narrative. Yeah. Um, that's huge to me. And it's, it's also like, you know, yes, he was hurt by the COVID stuff, but I think that he was also hurt of like hurt by somewhat of a little bit of a, you know, whisper network. That's like, you know, going on in certain personnel rooms across the league where it's like, okay, can he stay healthy? Can he stay healthy? Can he stay healthy? Mm-hmm. And it's hard if you're a talent evaluator and you're, you're sitting in the room and you're like, how can I win football games? And that's your bottom line. And you're looking at a guy and you're like, okay, yes, over and over again, there's a direct correlation to how many times he's gotten hurt and how many times it was at sort of a failure of people around him, right. whether it's offensive line play or Benjamin, I still can't get over not boxing out at the catch yeah. point and then well, not chasing down the defender. <laughs> like, brutal. Anyway. But like, you know, that correlation can exist because you have to figure out how you're going to win games. So the bottom line for you as a talent evaluator in the room is it, how often has this guy been hurt? This is a black and white subject for me. How often has he been hurt? Do I think the probability is high that he will not be hurt this season? Do I think that the probability is high that he is going to be fully healthy after X, Y, and Z injuries, you know? All of these sort of fact, 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 but that doesn't that doesn't approach even an I, one iota of the gray area of what his experiences have been over the last ten years. And I think that when you are the Patriots, who have some really very talented people in their scouting department, um, you now have a time to sit back and look at the gray area, and you now have time because you're not you're literally not in your office and you're literally just digging into this guy and seeing what all of the situational factors have been, you have time to actually see what has really gone on with this guy. What mm-hmm. like and then you and then you come every single time you come back to this is an extremely low risk move for us. Extraordinarily low risk while also being monumentally high reward. Yeah, it's almost no risk. And Jordan, from your perspective, since you were close to the team in Carolina and you did some outstanding coverage with Joe and individually on some of the inner workings there. And I got another question for you here shortly about the defense. But in terms of their evaluation of Cam, do you feel like the injury situation or the the, the whole bundle of injuries or what, whatever you want to say was a big factor in this? Or do you think Joe and Matt just simply wanted their own guy? Um, I think it was a little of both. I mean, I think that it's really convenient when you're a new head coach coming in and you can sit there and say, oh, look, my guy that I have on the roster has been on IR uh, or been, you know, suffered either season ending injury or had to have surgery postseason, you know, for the last three, three years. Mm hmm. Um, it's really easy and very convenient when you know you want a clean house anyway, extremely convenient to say, you know, that's a high risk situation. We're young. We, we're rebuilding. We want someone who's on the positive trend instead of sort of an unknowable variable. Um, I just, I think it is extremely convenient. I think it is something we see across the league. Uh, anytime there's a regime change, I think you're also factoring in the fact that there was not just a head coach offensive coordinator change. There was also an exodus of a prior, um, complete prior staff 
guys, even down to the strength coach, down to like the IT guy are not being retained. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just, there's been this mass exodus and turnover where very few people remain in that building from prior regime. And so that's all the way up to the owner as well. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Bill, Billy's guy is still here, Marty Herney. So there is that. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. I mean, I wanted to get into that now because it just, it, it still seems not necessarily surreal, but it's a little strange how the dynamics um, have kind of percolated as far as this offseason is concerned with, you know, you're hiring a new coach, you're giving him a large deal, and then you're keeping Marty Kearney around. And I know that Joe reported yesterday that they they made a little additional moves in the scouting department, but I want to get your impression based on, you know, the short time you follow them. What's kind of your impression of how this dynamic is going to work? Because I have obviously a lot of fans share my concerns about Marty Herney. So it's not like I'm alone there. Uh, but what do you, how, how are you kind of processing that? Um, in terms of like the power structure? Well, yeah, like obviously I think Joe broke it down pretty well during his radio spot on, on WFNC after the draft, mm-hmm. where he said that, yeah, Marty Herney had a lot of, say with the first pick which they took Derek Brown and then uh, Matt Rule's influence kind of took over from there uh, is that sort of your read on it too yeah you know I think um so first of all like most of those picks are Matt Rule picks uh through and through and yes you know there's input from the scouts and there's conversations um between the scouts and Matt and and Marty and and all of that but most of those picks and you look at the sort of the things that Rule has talked about over the years in terms of um you know athletic composition versatility um you know position changeability position change history that kind of a thing you look at those things and you really can see yes um you know Particularly testing, yes, those are very much Matt Rule picks, and I won't even bring up Rashawn Galden to you, Billy, because I know better. But <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, you you really you really um, you see that, and so I, I want to kind of like step back for a minute and sort of paint this picture because um, you know it's tough to see sort of the plans and things when you're when you're sort of the moves are happening and you're right in there with it. Um, so. Matt, Matt, as an extension of Dave Tepper, has brought in every single personnel decision, every single person that he, it seems like, has ever been in contact with in his entire life. <laughs> um, <laughs> he has brought them in to directly work for him, down to the team psychologist, mm-hmm. like the strength coach. Mm-hmm. Um he has a, a very strong background with um, the new uh, director of personnel that they brought in, um, you know, like a month or so ago. Yeah. Um, they've, they have a very strong background. These, this is someone who Matt, to me, as he grows into the role, Matt will not only have a largely autonomous say in transactional stuff, um, working with Samir Solomon as well, um, the capologist. Um, he will have a massive say in um, structure, in the systems they're running, in the personnel they bring in, in uh, the people, the types of athletes they're scouting, in, like I said, 
people right down to who's in the IT department, who the team psychologist is, who the cafeteria guy is, you know, these types of things. He is having a direct control and say over what is happening. And I think that is extremely telling of the power shift. But I also don't think that Marty is the type who is sort of inhibiting um, or like blocking any of that in any way. When I think of Marty, after working with him for so long, I think of a guy who just wants to be on the road scouting. That's it. Mm. Like he has done the GM thing. He's been a GM for X amount of years. He just wants to go scout players. Right. Mm. And so I think, especially as you see Matt guys getting brought in left and right and sideways, like you're starting to see what the dichotomy, like what the structure is now going to look like in terms of who's doing what, whose responsibilities are what. And so, you know, with the draft, sure, like absolutely, Derek Brown's a Marty Herney pick, like absolutely he is. Um, in terms of, you know, the picks on down the rest of the board, like those scream that role, scream that role, and, and mm-hmm. Phil Snow specifically too. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're starting to see what the power shift is when it's transactional time again, this spring, and you saw that again with the free agents offensively that they brought in specifically too. Those were very much Mac guys, and then also and Joe Brady guys in terms of Teddy. Um, and then also you're going to start seeing that more and more in terms of what they do with contracts. Christian McCaffrey, uh, I think, was both a Matt Rule and a Marty Herney decision, and I do think the owner was like very high on that as well. And then you you start you'll start to see now, and it's kind of like when you watch Dave Tepper. First, he was working on the business side, and then he really very much had a large hand on the football side. Yeah. Um, and then it's it's kind of like that. Like Matt Matt's going to do the same thing. Like now in free agency, you're going to see what the power structure is next spring. You're going to see what the shift is. You're going to see how much uh, you know who you really. I think it's going to be a lot clearer. Like who specifically is making what decision. And honestly, like for Marty. I think he's truly happiest in a, in a role where he can be out on the road scouting, evaluating talent um, and having, you know, having a say and being a, a sort of a voice of reason in different ways, um, but not having to have the empire rise and fall on his watch. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a nice deal. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that makes, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I, I get where, He's coming from, and I, I definitely agree with you that next offseason will be a much better litmus test as far as what we can explicitly judge as far as mm-hmm. how to really kind of get understand their decision making and their processes. Uh, I think this offseason was a little difficult because especially with the new regime, they only have so much time. Like, you know, they get hired in January, then they're off, you know, scouting the senior bowl and then mm-hmm. everything with the combine and free agents. It's crazy. So I. I definitely agree with you, but, you know, moving forward, you know, my biggest thing is, uh, you know, with the Panthers, especially in recent years, they have seemed to be more embraceive of, um, you know, forward thinking stuff like analytics, sports science. And I know sports science was something that Matt mentioned. Um, and last off season, you know, the Panthers, obviously they hired that guy from the Eagles to run their analytics department. What was your impression on how that's going to be implemented or what type of, are they going to be using that to kind of drive decisions like you see with teams like the Eagles and the Ravens and the Vikings even too? 
is that something where you expect them to kind of be more traditionalist or is it kind of a mixture of both in some ways? Yeah, you know, they're really behind. Um, I don't need to tell you guys that. Yeah, like, I they're, know. <laughs> they're like extraordinarily <laughs> behind. No, you don't have to tell us that. But yeah. Thank you anyway. Um, you know, I, I think they have a lot of ground to make up, but the thing with those types of building, those types of departments is you really can't, you really can't rush that. Like you have to, you have to bring in the right people who will be able to hold the ear of not just the coach, but whoever's making personnel decisions as well. With Matt, I think that that's great because Matt rule is like, I will always admit when I don't know something, um, from just my brief time working with him. Like that's very much what I pick up from him is he's like, I will always admit when I don't know something and then I will go find someone who knows and probably hire them because my staff isn't big enough. As it, as it is. <laughs> um, and so I think that's going to be true with analytics, but you can't, you can't rush that stuff. You have to, especially right now. I mean, they're letting go of so many employees. Um, right now, I, I think that's, that's delayed a little bit with the situation globally that's happening. But I, in, in terms of like all things in a vacuum, that's something where I would imagine they'd want to be very, very robust, um, very cutting edge. I know they're trying right now to, to completely overhaul sort of that strength and conditioning and sports science department. But again, you don't see results on those types of things till two, three years down the road. You don't start to see um, the ripple effect until then because it does take the human body time to change. And it also takes departments and ways of thinking and and sort of like very ground in beliefs and, and values like it takes time for those things to change um so I, I do think that they want to i i think they're starting out like very behind in terms of trying to b rebuild this um here it's been really cool because you know you see like massive uh rooms for like their analytics department where they I posted have a video have, on that yeah yeah the the nerd nest like they have they have like an, an entire wing for their analytics people. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I think that you, you not only need to have those people on stuff, you have to have the right people and people who the coach is actually listening to, because yes, you know, Ron had, uh, you know, like one analytics guy who like none of us ever saw, by the way, um, but, ex <laughs> but did exist as far as we know, like he had, he had him in the building but was he listening to him? Like, were they, were there, was there, a, was there a lot of studying of new concepts that were previously unfamiliar? And that's the kind of thing that I think is very different with the staff is like, Matt, Matt's like such a dork. He's, he's sitting there and he's like, well, you know, um, and I say that in a, in a nice way, obviously, because oh, yeah. he's like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know this and I'm unfamiliar with this concept. So let me go read like 10 books about it. Right. And yeah. so I think that's, that's a very, very important quality to have in a head coach. It's something that you see a lot of where um, I'm at in the NFC West right now. And and as a result, the level of competition um, among these head coaches here is fantastic to watch. And it's it's like, how it, how can you constantly push yourself to change and adapt and adjust and, and progress? And that's something that I think we had not seen. We, Carolina as a franchise was fine staying where it was for a long time. Um, and, and I think you're going to see different things happening and there will be steps taken backwards and then steps taken forwards. And hopefully, you know, for them, more steps taken forward than taken backward. Yeah, well, I definitely agree with that. And, and, and I just want to bring up one last point here is mm -hmm. uh, I gave Rivera, you know, pretty much a hard time, but I will say well, that he was, you did. No, 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 no I, I, I you... think in, 
<laughs> I even said like I thought he was a good hire for Washington, so I have nothing against that. Um, yeah, just I was get just out of say, here. Like, You're good I, there. I did... Get out of here. <laughs> right, but no, I was just gonna say I did appreciate him kind of embracing a lot of the numbers because you remember that Packers game when everyone kind of criticized him for going for two. He came out in the press conference that that was totally all by the numbers, which he's right, it was. Yeah. Um, you, saw a lot of the analytics people on Twitter, especially kind of praise him for that decision, even though it didn't work. So I just want to say, I think Rivera did kind of get better towards yeah, the end of his tenure. He so did. hopefully we'll continue to see that with the Panthers. But yeah, yeah. And you know, Ron, Ron's, you, you guys know that I have just like the utmost respect for the guy. So for me, like Ron, we sat down in Atlanta uh, before the Super Bowl in Atlanta um, a couple years ago. And he basically straight up, said, I've gotten too complacent and I need to change. And so those things started happening and he started taking those steps, but it's really tough because again, you are in like, not only is Ron the only person at that time who's holding the franchise together with his bare hands, essentially because of the scandal and all of these things are happening. And he's, Mm -hmm. he's the only person in the building at that point no team president like he is the highest ranking person in the building like literally holding everything together and and then he's like oh and i have to like get better at my you know at at how i think too and so for me i i don't think people understand what a massive undertaking it was not just for him to be able to do that but also during that period of time and then also to then start taking those baby steps forward like you said billy which i you know it's, it's i think important to note because now that progress has to continue where he's at. And now again, he's sort of caught in this like, um, like has to be the one to hold everything together situation. And so, um, you know, those steps and that that forward progress has to continue. And I think it, it, like you said, I think it should be recognized that it was, it was very small incremental things that started happening near the end of his time. And then, but you know, do you have the patience for that as a new owner? And the answer is no. I think it's fascinating, too. You brought up 2017, and when the coaching job he did there, I talked to Nick Carboni a while back about this. We both agreed that was one of his best coaching jobs ever. Um, holding that thing together uh, through through the end of that, that last quarter of that season where the Richardson stuff, you know, was front and center, and it was obviously just an absolute distraction. And he held that team together and, and won out almost, uh, except for that last game in Atlanta in December, won some big games against Green Bay, against Minnesota. Uh, and I think that serves him well moving forward as a leader in times like this where Washington's going through a lot of changes with their mascot, with their logo. There's a lot of ownership strife right now. So hopefully, you know, Ron, uh, you know, and I, I appreciate your perspective on that, Jordan, because you've spent more time with him than either one of us have ever. Um, it gives him an edge maybe moving forward in terms of holding a situation like that together. I, I do have one last question for you before we get you out of here so you can build some furniture and all that good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> The NFL at large, you know, this is the big question a lot of people have, and you're you're in the middle of this world covering this game up close. What what is your sense of how this league can make this season work? Can it happen? Will it happen? What's your gut feeling on what this season will look like? Um, you know, I think like if you got, I mean, just kind of knowing you guys a little bit over the last several years, like I'm, I'm an optimist, right? I think I would, I would characterize myself as an optimist. I, however, am not optimistic that the current structures that the league has in place, um, are going to be able to make a season work. Um, and I say that because I don't think that the league is pushing 
to be forward thinking enough, cutting edge enough. Um, I don't think there is enough of an emphasis on player safety. We see that time and time and time again with other things and now with the global pandemic. And I don't think that the people who are in negotiation rooms with the NFLPA are being productive. Um, and so I think that that's, I, I don't know if they start great, whether that means pushing it back or having a pre, no preseason, which is what you know we're kind of hearing is the next step. Um, great. But unless you can promise these guys that they're going to be safe and you can sort of say these things about long-term effects of a virus that we don't even know the full scope of, um, it's not possible. And so, Mm -hmm. you, you know, I don't, I'm not very optimistic about a season being played fully. Um, I think that there are some things that, that are being discussed in terms of like, contact tracing and um, spacing and distancing and everything, but you still hit people in this game. You still have contact, one-on-one contact with people in this game. And so if you can find a way to um, completely render this virus a non-factor despite contact, that's the way you have a season, but you can't do that. And so whether it's you play a couple games and you're on pause or you push completely to the spring or you you just say we're gonna we're gonna cut our losses, which is like the last resort because you know the NFL would hate giving up a penny, let alone like three billion dollars. Right. Um, you know, I just especially as players are educating themselves, players. This is this is different, I think, than some um, negotiating times because players are directly players have been at home with their families and every single day have been educating themselves about this virus in very small tasks, like going to the grocery store, getting gas, um, Mm -hmm. working from home, zoom calls, virtual learning, virtual workouts, gyms are closed in everyday actions. They have educated themselves about this virus and about what the potential consequences are. And so the negotiating process, um, to me, I see it heading toward, nearly a complete standstill, um, if not a complete standstill, because the league will try to push and push and push and players, first of all, will never be at a consensus with this. And second of all, um, will probably not be comfortable with some of the things they will be asked to do. And so if that means waiting till the spring um, to have sort of the quote unquote 2020 season, um, or if that means playing in blocks and then quarantining, if that means a bubble, whatever that means, there is no plan yet. <laughs> it is mm. July yeah, and there's no plan yet. So I'm not feeling very optimistic about it personally. I would love, I would love it to happen. But like, um, you know, Sean Doolittle said, sports are the reward of a functioning society and we are not there right now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it's definitely true. And I think the, the benefit the NFL has is they can see how the NBA and the MLS, which starts tonight, how they will kind of proceed. Yeah. Um, I know the, the NWSL has actually run pretty fine. I, I saw one of their games last night, and it looks like they're, but they're also in a bubble environment in Utah, which is kind of secluded from, you know, the epicenters of where this virus is really damaging. Yeah. Well, no matter what, it'll look and feel different no matter how they do it. And I think that's the big adjustment for. For fans and the media, as you mentioned, you know, getting to know these players on a personal level is your strength and having to do it from a distance makes it harder to cover these guys. And 
that's a challenge, I'm sure. But uh, if anybody can pull it off, it's our friend Jordan Rodriguez who joins us here on Blue Wire, The Roar with Billy Marshall, John Ellis. Uh, where can we find you? I know theathletic.com slash Los Angeles is your new landing page. Uh, anything else you want to plug? Yeah, so um, it's kind of cool. You can find me, some of my work on um, the main Athletic NFL page as well, which has been a very cool byproduct of this job change. Um, and also you can find me on Twitter at Jordan Rodrigue, J-O-U-R. D-A-N, Rodrigue, um, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E. And um, it was really great catching up with you guys. This was such a pleasure. Right on. We enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, you're Billy's biggest fan. And I'm, I'm number two. <laughs> Let's, I'm, I'm good with that. You Billy, know, I'm waiting for my – I need decorations um, for my apartment. I'm waiting for, like, something to be signed and sent to me. Like, it's fine. You know, I've oh, just gosh. been waiting. I got here last weekend, <laughs> and I'm still waiting. So. Well, he'll, he'll send you a glossy, a signed one. I promise you. We'll make it happen. <laughs> Jordan, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you down the road. 